Would you open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. You're saying, well, Galatians 5 doesn't sound like a Christmas text. That's okay. You'll hang with me and you'll see. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 will be our key passage this morning. Our Christmas sermon series is based on the Christmas Carol, O Holy Night, and we've titled the series Our Holy Night, if you are our guest. And our sermon today is based on the third verse, that Jesus is our freedom. Jesus is our freedom. If you remember the story, those of you that were here, and I'll catch you up real quick if you haven't been here, that in Christmas of 1847, an unknown to history parish priest in rural France asked one of his congregants, a businessman who was also a poet, to write a poem for their Christmas Eve service. So sure enough, 170 years ago now, this poem was written. On a coach from that small provincial town into the Parisian capital, uh, or or, excuse me, the French capital of Paris, Placide Capot wrote, O Holy Night. Of course, he wrote it in French had a different title in French, and when he reached Paris, he thought, this isn't just a good poem, I'm going to contact my friend, Adolf Charles Adams, and have Adams write a musical score to go along with it. So he went back to his home, not with just a poem, but with a hymn. The hymn grew in such popularity that it wasn't too long before the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, our side, John Sullivan Dwight, the son of Timothy Dwight, president of Yale University, who was part of the First Great Awakening, that John Sullivan Dwight, a uh, pastor but also an abolitionist, read the words in French and thought, we've got to translate this into English. The third verse of that uh, carol says this, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. You heard those tones of freedom, of slavery, of chains, of oppression, that Christ came to set us free. And you know now why John Sullivan Dwight, an abolitionist, chose in 1855, just a few years before our Civil War, to write or translate this French hymn into English. And so we talk today about Jesus being our freedom. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of God's word, I'd ask you to do so as we read Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you uh, let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness of uh, for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay a penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray together. Our Father, we read these words that the Apostle Paul wrote to a sister church there in Galatia almost 2,000 years ago. And we hear words of freedom and of slavery, and circumcision, and uncircumcision. And we wonder exactly what this means. But we know that by your Spirit, and from the rest of the Bible, and from history, we can find out exactly what this means, not only then, but for us today. And we thank you, Father, that we see in these verses that Christ Jesus has come to set us free. Free not only from our sin, but free from the law that shows us it is sin. So God, we celebrate His grace, and we pray now that by that grace, you will speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We celebrate that grace in our Scripture memory verse of the month, reminds us of that grace, and Leslie's going to put it up there for us now. I read it earlier. You know it. Let's say it together. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Luke 2.14. Those are the words of the angels announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds as they watched their flocks by night. So the carol tells us. And those words remind us that it is God's favor that rests on us in order to bring us peace so that would no longer be conflict with one another, but also conflict within ourselves. So we turn to our scripture in Galatians and your first point on your outline, if you would, and you're taking notes in your bulletin, is that Jesus frees us from man-made rules. Jesus frees us. Yeah, I know. I mean, I didn't mean to make a rhyme there. I thought about making it past tense. Jesus freed us. But I thought, no, we're still free. And in the perfect tense, we're free forever. That if you've trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, not only were you freed from the penalty of your sin on the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior, but you are still being freed from the very ability that sin has over you even now. And verse 1 of Galatians 5 tells us that, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. In order that we might be free is what he means. And then he tells us to stand firm, then do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
We'll talk more about that in a minute. But when we think about freedom and we think about rules and we think about the way our life is structured and the way we like to do it, when it comes to rules, there's really three options. There are making rules, there are breaking rules, and there are keeping rules, right? And so for us as believers in Jesus, we're maybe naturally wired that we want to keep the rules. I mean, that's the way we're taught even before you trust Christ as your Savior, that this is right, and this is wrong, and this is nice, and this is naughty, and you keep the rules. And our life is about keeping rules. And those of us that keep rules look down our nose on the people that don't keep rules. Or uh, when we keep this rule really well, we look down on the person who doesn't keep that rule well, neglecting the fact that we don't keep that rule very well, but they do. We tend to judge people based on the things that come easy to us, but not so much to them. But keeping rules is our nature in some ways. Of course, there are others that like to break rules. And if we're honest about it, we'd have to admit that we break rules at times too. Not only do we break rules of how to do things at work, but when we drive our car, but even moral rules and rules about what is righteous and unrighteous, perfect and sinful in the way we live our lives. But Jesus came not just to make rules, or excuse me, to keep rules or to break rules, but Jesus came to make new rules. You think about what Jesus did and how revolutionary he was. Even the role of women in his society. Women were treated as slaves and almost as property, not as equals. And Jesus elevated the role and position of women by everything he did. And you think about the way he talked about loving slaves and loving others of different races. And not only did he say it, but he did it. And people were freaked out because Jesus was breaking the rules. But see, he was breaking their man-made rules because he was making brand new godly rules. That this is how you should love God one another. This is how you should serve one another. This is how you should honor one another. And why could he do that? Because he's God in the flesh. Your first application question asks you, whose rules do I follow? If you're honest about answering this question, all you really need is a mirror, right? That was supposed to be funny. I guess it wasn't. I mean, you just need to look in the mirror because for most of us, the rules that are most easy to follow for us, the rules that come natural are the ones that we agree with, the ones that we have made. My family has pointed out to me that the way I see life so many times is there's a right way and there's a wrong way and the right way is always my way. Guilty, right? I mean, when it comes to how you clear your snow, to how you drive your car, to, uh, you know, how you write your notes, to how you send an email, to any petty little thing, I think I have a way figured out to do it, and my way's right. Does anybody else like me? Please help me. Save me. We have a few others that have confessed. Thank you. The rest of you are just confused, right? You can admit that at church, too. Whether we like to or not, we have some rules that we feel comfortable with in the way we live life. Pastor Sammy Rhodes said that Jesus came to set us free both from justifying our sin 
and justifying ourselves. You see, what comes so natural to me is me trying to justify me. That even by using my little joke here and explaining that there's my way and there's the other way and my way is always right, that's me justifying me, right? Because I can feel good that I kept my rules, that I did it my way and my way must be the right way because why would I do a wrong way? It's my way, right? How many of us are that way? But Jesus came to set us free from that self-justification. Freedom is found when you get to the end of yourself, admit your brokenness, become thankful for your weakness, and rest in the grace of God's provision for you. A college friend of mine, Jody Riddlehoover, said that. I want to read it again. Freedom is found when you get to the end of yourself, admit your brokenness, Become thankful for your weakness and rest in the grace of God's provision for you. This is spoken by a man who, by all intents and purposes and every appearance today, looks healthy. But there was a point in time in our senior year of college when he was debilitated in a hospital bed by a strange disease for six months and could do nothing for himself. This is my friend Jody who talks to us about freedom being found in brokenness and the grace of God's provision. God frees us from man-made rules, even our rules. Let's look at point number two on your outline. That Jesus frees us to love one another. If you read verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, you get this conversation about circumcision and uncircumcision and all that. Well, keep in mind what was happening, right? That there was a group of people called Judaizers that were going to churches after Paul left the church. So Paul comes and teaches the gospel. Folks get saved. Their lives are changed. The Holy Spirit comes into them. They gather whatever scripture they can. And by the Holy Spirit's power, they're teaching one another. They're growing in faith as believers in Jesus. But then these other guys come along and say, Hey, you know, Paul told you some stuff, but we got a little more to tell you. And Paul didn't tell you about these other rules you need to keep. And if you're really going to be saved, you got to keep these other rules. And what were the other rules? They were the rules of Judaism. That if you were a male person, you had to have your physical body circumcised. And that circumcision in all the other rules. So Paul uses circumcision for a type for all the other rules of Judaism. And so these Judaizers are saying to believers in Jesus that you need to follow all these rules in order to be saved. Paul hears about it later and writes a letter back to the church at Galatia that we have in the book of Galatians. And he says, no, you don't. It's by grace you're saved through faith. We know that from Ephesians. He says, matter of fact, if you try to follow all these rules, you're not going to be able to do it. And so he comes to verse 6, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Whoa, so it's not the man-made rules that you follow that has value, Paul says. Follow on. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Did everybody hear that? It's not your rule keeping that matters to God. It's the fact that you have faith in Jesus. And because you have faith in Jesus, you love others. You do something about it. Now, we get challenged by that because some people can be pretty mean and pretty nasty and do terrible things to us. And unfortunately, the closer they are to us, the more they can hurt us. If your spouse betrays you. 
a dear friend or family member or coworker does something to hurt you, it wounds you more deeply than if it's a random Joe on the street. It's true that life hurts and that love is a risk. But Jesus frees us in order that we might love one another. 1 John 3.23, you can just write that one down. It's a commandment where John says, love one another. Matter of fact, if you were to count the one another's in the New Testament, you would come up with 59 different one another's. And if it's mentioned over 50 times, almost 60 times in the New Testament, would you agree with me that loving one, or excuse me, one another's, not love one another's, but uh, that the one another's, these commands should change how we treat people. That we should one another, one another. We should love, we should honor, we should serve, we should seek peace. I mean, use your Bible concordance or your app on your phone, and search out the phrase, one another, in the Bible. It'll be amazing what you'll find out. Another friend of mine from college, Sherry Dakin, says of Galatians 5, that true freedom is found in loving one another. True freedom is found in loving one another. So your application question here for your second point asks, how do I relate to others? If you were to survey your behavior over the last month, on average, maybe the last week, maybe just since you woke up this morning, how are you doing at loving others by the way you spend your time, the way you exercise your energy and actions, the words you use? The attitude with which you speak those words. Think about these one another's. If the Bible says love one another, serve one another, honor one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, do you get the idea that Christianity is not about you? And it's not about you taking care of you, it is about you serving others. One another. Would you turn back to 1 John with me? If we're going to talk about love and we're going to talk about one another, we've got to bring in 1 John. And in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, John the evangelist, the beloved disciple, writes this in verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live Through him. So God loved us by doing something. He didn't just say, hey, Southview Baptist Church people, I love you, man. Woo! God could have done that. We'd have been like, all right, God loves us. But what did he do? He didn't just say it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Not on our own, not by ourselves, but through Jesus is how we are to relate to one another. When you think about the one another's and you think, man, Pastor Aaron, that's hard. I don't like to one another. I kind of like to do it my way. I kind of like to follow my rules and keep to myself and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, 
If you're having problems following one another on your own, that's good. That means you're trying on your own. You need to surrender and say, okay, Jesus, I'm not able to do this one another. You need to do it through me. Look at verse 11. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So that's there in 1 John. Turn back over to Ephesians with me. So we were in Galatians. Ephesians follows Galatians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 tells us how we ought to relate to one another. Listen, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So now he's going to tell us what that worthy life, worshipful is what worthy means, worshipful life of the calling we've received since we've been called to be believers in Jesus. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of Peace. Did you hear how we're supposed to relate to one another? Humble, gentle, patience, bearing with one another, keeping unity through the bond of peace. Brothers, we ought to be revolutionary in the way we live. And I said, brothers, forgive me, sisters, you too. Which leads us to our third point, that Jesus frees us to obey Him alone. So we look at our own rules and we can't even keep those. And our rules are man-made rules, but God makes rules that require our obedience that are above or outside of who we are. They are supernatural in their means and therefore they are supernatural. We should are supernatural in our ability to keep them by God through His Spirit. Verse 7, Paul says, you are running a good race. So I'm back to Galatians 5, verse 7. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you? And kept you from obeying the truth. So go back to our context of Galatians. The Galatian church received the gospel from Paul by grace through faith. They're living that life. They're doing okay. These guys, the Judaizers, come along and say, "Mm, you got to add all these rules to it. They all start following the rules, or at least some of them do. Paul hears about it. Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, wait a second. And then he uses this analogy. You're running a good race, but who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? I don't know how many of you have ever run track and field, but I used to be a miler. And I ran the mile and the half mile. I liked the mile a little better because you had four laps to do something, not just two, right? And besides that, I was not quite as fast. But the one thing you always wanted to do when going around those corners is guard that inside line, man. You don't want somebody to squirt through you on the inside because once they get in front of you, then they can kind of, you know, run with their uh, peripheral vision and stay in front of you. Maybe you've run that sort of race before. Somebody gets in your way, and Paul is talking about this using that same sort of analogy. You were doing good, but somebody cut in front of you. And what does he say? Kept you from obeying the truth. Jesus frees us to obey him alone, his truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the truth. And so if you're obeying anything other than Jesus, it's not the truth. Not God's truth, not God's rule. Blaise Pascal said this. 
And you have to listen carefully. There are only two kinds of people in life. The righteous who believe themselves sinners. And the rest, sinners who believe themselves righteous. The righteous who believe themselves sinners. And sinners who believe themselves righteous. What sort of person are you? Do you have your righteousness imputed by grace through faith through Jesus? Or are you self-righteous? That's what he's talking about. Are you saved by grace and mindful of your sinfulness, humbled in the faith that Jesus gives you your righteousness, that he alone has freed you, therefore he alone is who you should obey. Your third question is, how does God's truth persuade me? I thought long and hard about that verb there. And I settled on persuade. Because sometimes we need a little persuading, right? You've heard me say before that I wish sometimes I had a magic Bible. Now, every mention of magic in the Bible is wrong, that it's sinful. But this is an illustration, right? And depending on the person and the situation that I can wave the magic Bible over their head and make them all right, physically heal them or take care of their relationship problem or their financial problem. Or sometimes if the person's being a knucklehead that I could whop them on the head and make them all right, right? Sometimes I need God to whop me on the head to persuade me of his truth. Anybody else got an amen for me? Yeah, some of you are going, Pastor, you're kind of whopping me right now. Stop, stop. We get so easily distracted by doing things our way and keeping our rules that we forget that there is truth that is outside of us because it is sovereign, perfect, holy, righteous, And that's the truth we should follow and obey. And that's the truth that should persuade our hearts, our minds, our mouths to actions. That live like Jesus no matter what happens, no matter what somebody else does to me. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one else will see God. That we're to pursue peace, pursue truth. That God's words should change us. If you read on through verse 8, 9, you get this analogy of dough and yeast that works its way through a whole batch. My mom and dad are here, and my mom is famous for her cinnamon rolls. So I don't know, when are we planning to make cinnamon rolls, Mom? Mary Elizabeth? I'm going to advertise to the whole church, tell them when to come over so they can have a cinnamon roll in the next few days. But I'll never forget as a child, my mom showing me as she mixed up something. And I don't remember what age I was. I was old enough that I started to pay attention maybe, right? I was a little slow paying attention to things when I was a child. And that, you know, she put the dough in the bowl and she set it on the counter and covered it up. And I'm like, what's this? You know, I'm ready to eat something now, right? Give me something sweet, mom. No, no, it has to rise. And I'm like, how's it going to rise? It's a lump of gooey dough. And sure enough, you come back a little while later and 
that thing's risen. Whoa, how did that happen? I didn't know that there's chemistry going on inside the baking you know, dish there. That yeast works its way through and changes the dough and makes it instead of a cracker into a cinnamon roll or bread or something lovely like that, right? I like yeast when it does that, don't you? But Paul uses the picture of yeast as working its way through. Notice what he says. They came in and caused confusion and they were preaching circumcision. You got to be circumcised and, you know, all this stuff. And he says, whoa, I wish they would just, and I'm not going to even go there. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. And then a warning. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. I don't know about you, but that's pretty easy for me. He goes on to say, rather serve one another in love. Your fourth point on your outline says that Jesus frees us to serve others. If you're going to add that last phrase in there, serve one another in love. You can just add a little parentheses there. In love. Not serve one another because we're obligated, because we feel guilty, because it's the right thing to do, because our mom told us to, because our boss is looking, because Pastor Aaron will think better of me. Who cares what Pastor Aaron thinks? Serve one another in love. Pastor Eugene Cho says this, that the challenge of the modern church is that we have too many people acting like guests when we are called to be hosts. We are called to serve one another in love. So your final question on your outline asks, what does my freedom look like? Paul said, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. What does freedom look like for you? The freedom that Christ has given you from the penalty of eternal death and hell. The freedom that Christ has given you from the shackle holds of sin on your life as you continue to live and breathe now. What does it look like for you? Does freedom make a difference in your life that people look at you and say, that person is free. That person is different. They talk different. They act different. They serve different. They love different. Turn back with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, Jesus says in verse 34, a new command I give you. So who's given us this rule? Who's given us this command? Jesus, God's son, God in the flesh. As I have loved you, so you must love, what does it say? One another. What's our freedom for? One another. Loving one another. Serving one another. Verse 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So many times we act like rules plus my self-control to follow those rules equals faith. 
That's the world we live in. That's a fleshly response. Rules plus self-control equals faith. And this is what it means to be a Christian. But what Jesus says is that it is surrender plus freedom that equals faith. My surrender to Him and the freedom that He gives me, that that is my faith. Charles Ryrie said it this way, The good news is that Christ has done something about sin and that He lives today to offer His forgiveness to me. The direction is from Christ to me. It is never from me to Him. I do not offer Christ anything. How could I? What could I possibly offer that would help meet my need? Friends, it's my surrender plus His freedom that equals the faith that I live. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that by Your Spirit You teach it to each and every one of us. That even though there's 200 folks here today, we haven't heard one message, but 200 different messages. Because in your sovereignty, you've communicated to us what you'd want us to hear. It's my prayer now that we would respond in faith, that we would surrender, and that by our surrender to you, you'd give us perfect freedom. And then in our freedom, we might love others. God, we think about the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby, that He surrendered His will as sovereign God in order that He might be born on that holy night that we might have freedom and we rejoice. If there's a single soul here who needs to trust Christ as their Savior, would they do that today and come talk to me so we can celebrate that together? If there's any other decision we need to make or burden we need to lay at this altar as we sing, may each and every one respond now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.